does start our, uh, the first Sunday of Lent, which uh, um, the something the church has been practicing and, and celebrating for, for centuries as a, a way of helping us to, to focus our attention upon the, the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And uh, our journey this Lenten season, we're going to look back at the Exodus story, the events of God calling uh, Moses and God's people out of bondage and leading them into freedom. Uh, Because that is the story that Jesus uses most often as the metaphor for the reason that he came. Uh, in a sense, in the, the, the way of Moses called um, to lead his people out of bondage into freedom. But this freedom is a very different understanding of freedom than especially we Americans might have. Because um, in, in America we think of liberty and freedom as the freedom to do what we want to do. That is not biblical freedom. That's not biblical freedom. Matter of fact, a lot of times, that's called sin. (laughs) The freedom to do what we want to do, especially as led by the ways of the world or our own selfishness. True biblical freedom. That can happen even if we're behind bars. Um, that can, can, can happen no matter uh, what is around us or upon us. True biblical freedom is the freedom to do what God wants us to do. Isn't that a whole lot more exciting to be able to be freed from the ways of the world, from the evil one, from, from our own selfishness, so that we might do what God has called us to do. That is true freedom that God is leading us into and has been doing that for a long, long time. And so that's this exodus of journey um, as we walk through Exodus. Now, you should have received with your bulletin a little bookmark that you can put in your Bibles that will give you some guidance over the next several weeks during this Lenten season as we read through the, the book of Exodus. I, I took out a few chapters. If you're you know, a high-achieving student, you can read some of those extra chapters that give all the details of the making of the temple and the tabernacle and those kind of things. So if you want to... Uh, uh, read to those, go ahead, but you'll, um, you know, you'll get extra credit, an extra um, little gold star on the top of your paper. Um, uh, but we will walk through Exodus as this journey of freedom that God is leading us um, into um, in our own lives, in our lives um, together. So today, we'll look at uh, Exodus chapter 3, which uh, is... Um, God's call upon Moses as he begins this, um, or takes this next step of the journey of freedom for his people. Let's, uh, let's pray together. Uh, dear gracious God, thank you for your written word. Uh, thank you as it speaks to us of your, your truth. And we ask now that your Holy Spirit uh, would be at work in us, um, helping your um, word uh, become real to us as a church and us individually. Speak to us. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. 
All right, uh, Exodus uh, chapter 3, we'll start with verse 1, we'll read through verse 16, and we'll pick up sort of the end of the um, uh, chapter uh, there, and then uh, in a little bit, I'll even look a little bit into chapter 4 also, just to get the whole story of, of God's uh, calling um, Moses and really um, kicking off this journey. It's found on page 44 in your pew Bible, if you want to uh, turn there, you can follow along on the screen if you want. Um, just a, a little bit of a background. You know, know that whenever we read this, you know, this is just a, one little story in a, in a much bigger one. And so Moses, um, his birth story, you'll read that if you read in the first couple um, chapters um, there. And, his, uh, and you get the story of his life. He is now about... Uh, he's in his late 70s, so you would think, uh, around in there. It, it, we're told a little bit later he's in his 80, he, that he's 80 when he starts um, some of what he's doing. And it's hard to tell exactly how much time has elapsed. But late 70s um, to 80 is how old he is right now. And, and he's just been hanging out um, in this rural area with his uh, family, taking care of the house, taking care of the family, taking care of the sheep. That's what Moses has been doing um, for decades now since he um, fled from Egypt because he committed murder. Um, And uh, he fled Egypt because then they wanted to uh, murder him. So he's been hanging out here in Midian um, with his family and uh, we'll uh, pick up from there. So Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led his flock beyond the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of a bush. He looked, and the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. Then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. See, he knew Moses' name too. And he said, here I am. Then he said, come no closer. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. See, the Lord is holy He said further, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their suffering. And I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the country of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. The cry of the Israelites has now come to me. I have also seen how the Egyptians oppressed them. So come, I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, catch that phrase, but Moses, we'll come back and look at that a number of times. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He said, I will be with you and this shall be the sign for you that it is I who sent you. 
when you've brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God on this mountain. But Moses said to God, If I come to the Israelites and say to them that the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name, what shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said further, Thus you shall say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And this is my title for all generations. Go and assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, The Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob has appeared to me, saying, I've given heed to you and to what has been done to you in Egypt. I know, however, that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my wonders that I will perform in it. After that, he will let you go. I will bring this people into such favor with the Egyptians that when you go, you will not go empty-handed. Each woman shall ask her neighbor and any woman living in the neighbor's house for jewelry of silver and of gold and clothing, and you shall put them on your sons and on your daughters, and so you shall plunder the Egyptians. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, just as we just sang, he knows my name, he hears our cry. That has been the way of God for a long, long time. Verse 7 and 8 uh, that we read. The, the, the reason for God intersecting into Moses' life is that he says, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their suffering. And I've come down to deliver them from the Egyptians. Do you see why Jesus would go, harken back to this story and say, you see how God hears the cries? He sees how we're oppressed. He sees how we're in bondage. Even if it's our own fault, He hears and He comes down to deliver us. God cares. That, that may be the, the greatest truth that we could ever take inside our soul is to truly believe that God cares for you and for me and for us. That God cares so much for us that He's not going to deliver you into freedom to just do what you want. That's a far too small a goal. He has created us to to care for us, to deliver us, so that we are free to do what God wants us to do. To live into the fullness of life, not that we can dream, but that God dreams for us. This season of Lent is one to continually focus us on just how much God cares. How He is willing to suffer, to sacrifice, even to die 
in order to free us from the evil one, to free us from the bondage of this world, to to free us from our own fear, to free us from our own selfishness, to liberate us to the fullness of life in Him and for Him. And John 3.16 captures it well. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Have life with God forever. Yeah, that's a pretty common term. God loves us. And that God cares. You know, we, we hear that so much. It's almost like driving down Coleraine Avenue. Right? I mean, do you realize how many messages are up and down Coleraine Avenue? And do you even read them anymore? No, you just, you go by, you're so familiar with it that we forget just the sacrificial love of God for you and for me. That He hears our cries. And that He He longs to free you and me and us from the bondage of doing anything else but God's will. Because anything else leads to destruction. What are for you the the triggers that remind you just how much God cares and loves you? You know, we, uh, uh, Jerry Kirk, who's the pastor emeritus here, led a, a series um, on Monday nights and, and shared with us, you know, the, those triggers. Some of you have heard it many times of how, for him, just seeing a bird. He had a particular experience by seeing a bird in a time of uh, real spiritual depth. And, and now every time he sees a bird, that's just a trigger of God, that God cares for me. What are those triggers for you. Often for me it's music. It's, it's when we sing of, of God's love for us. Now, how many times that I've just been standing there and when we, we sing that He knows my name. Now, I'm overwhelmed. The 23rd Psalm is another one for me. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He makes me. Leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Just to sit with that, to close my eyes, imagine the waters and the green fields. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. So what what fear, what anxiety has me under bondage? That's not an anxiety and fear that comes from God when walking into that psalm. That that psalm is just a trigger to me that God cares, that God loves me and us. You know, when I I see other people, when I see people loving other people unconditionally, when when I see folks who are foster parents, you're giving themselves for the life of a, of a child that's not related to them biologically. That, that just triggers me to the love of God. 
When I drive in here, sometimes on a Saturday morning, especially in July and August, and there are men getting into the big white trucks for Feast of Love to, to deliver furniture to different people's homes. That's a trigger to me of God's love. Whenever I get to hold a baby, or even see another person hold a baby, you know, where does that affection come when you've got this baby in your arms and it's not physically related to you? And some babies are cute, some babies aren't. But that's not it. You know, you're just holding a baby and you're there and it takes this one, for me, it takes the pastor of College Hill Presbyterian Church down to a place where I'm like, ooh, goo, 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 how you doing, baby? You know, where does that come from? Where does the depth of that longing of connecting with a baby come from? But from the one who created us. Those are triggers for me that God cares. That He hears our cries. That He longs to free us from whatever holds us down from walking with Him. What are those triggers for you? See, as we're on this quest, as we're on this this journey, this quest for freedom, we are fueled. The only fuel that works is the unbounded affection, uh, the unbounded caring power of our Creator that releases us from the bondage of the devil, from evil, and from our own selfishness. Now, in, back to, to Moses, and you understand on this journey for freedom, on this journey for us to pursue freedom, for God's people to pursue freedom, it starts with the person you see when you look in the mirror. The first, first person to be freed in this story is Moses. The, the, the first person uh, to be freed in your story is you. The, the first people to be freed in our story is us. Because Moses, he is in bondage. His, you see here that, that he, his faith, his trust, his courage, um, they are emaciated. And they need to be emancipated. And that's what happens. I mean, God cares. He comes in and he's going to save the day. And Moses then says, oh, but God, one second here. And I told you we're going to come back to those but Moseses, right? Uh, you see it in verse, in verse 13. But Moses said to God, you know, if I come to the people and I say to them that you sent me, who do I say you are? Well, and God, you know, answers that. Uh, then uh, you, you see in... Um, well, the first place you see it in verse 11, and then we see it in verse 13. And then we see it if you... If you see your Bibles open, we don't have this for you. You just have to trust me. Um, in Exodus chapter 4, verse 1, it, But Moses answered, um, But suppose they do not believe me or listen to me. Suppose they say the Lord did not, did not appear to you. And you know what God does chapter 4? He says, Well, Moses, he does a couple signs. Stick your hand inside your cloak. 
and he sticks it inside his cloak and he pulls it out and it's leprous. It's all uh, white and ashen and diseased. And he says, now stick it back in. And he pulls it out. It's totally healed. God says, Moses, take your staff, throw it on the ground. He throws the staff on the ground. It turns into a snake. Then God says, now, Moses, grab the tail of that snake. And he grabs the tail and it turns back into a staff again. You would think, you would think after the burning bush, after his hands get transformed right in front of him, after his staff gets transformed from the snake and back again, that you would have seen God's power. You would think that that would have freed Moses, right? What we need is to see God's power. No. You see God's power every day. And that doesn't do it. And it didn't do it for Moses. Verse, Because even after that, verse 10. But Moses said to the Lord, Oh my Lord, I've never been eloquent. And he goes, I, I can't speak. I, you know, I just hang out with sheep. I can, but that's about it. You're going to have to, Get somebody else, which is what he says in verse 13. After God says, all right, we'll get Aaron. Aaron can speak. Then we finally get to the heart of the matter in chapter 4, verse 13. And Moses then says, God, can you send somebody else besides me? God frees us from our own bondage, but He doesn't do it with a magic pill or some secret formula. He does it by entering into our lives and inviting us to walk with Him in real time, in real space, and that takes a lot of effort on our part. And Moses knows it, and he's just like, can I just stay on the sidelines? My wife's reading a book with a, a few folks in, in the church called Not a Fan. And what Moses wants to be is a fan. He just wants to sit on the sidelines. Can I be a fan and cheer you on, God? You know, you, you go do it. Let, let me just stay on the sidelines. You know, I'll show up on Sunday morning. I'll give, I'll sing, I'll chat. I'll raise my hands to you. Maybe even tap my foot. I'll show up maybe and I'll, I'll teach Sunday school when my kids are in Sunday school. Is that, that's all right. You know? I, I, maybe I'll even give you a few hours during the week at a, a few things along the way. But that's not how God works. No, God says to Mo, you want freedom, then you've got to be all in, baby. It's all of you because I give all of me. And the only way this works is for you to give all of yourself. And Moses is scared to death. And he comes up with every way to try to weasel out of it. Can you relate to that? God is saying, I want to bring you to freedom, but I want your whole life. And, you know, like I said, Moses is 80 at this time. This isn't a lesson for just for children. This is a lesson for 80-year-olds who have developed habits of keeping nice control of their own life. Hanging out with sheep is a nice thing. It's a nice little gig. It's easy. You know, it's not not a whole lot of trouble going on. Not like going into Pharaoh and saying, hey, let my people go. That's, if you want freedom, you want the freedom that God brings, then it's a whole, whole life endeavor and it's scary or you're not understanding what God's saying. 
the crucial error that we make and that Moses made. It's quite obvious here. It's a crucial error. He focused on himself. He focused on the, the people around him. They're not going to understand. They're not going to know. You know. I'm not able to do it. My limitations are such that it can't happen. When we focus on ourselves, whether we focus on ourselves because of how good we are in pride, or we focus on ourselves on, on how bad we are in our own weakness, either way, our focus is not where it should be, which is on the power and affection and call and plan and beautiful will of God. Moses was the first one to be freed from focusing on himself and taking his attention up to God and believing and trusting in Him. See, he'd, he'd been sort of doing his own thing for so long that his imagination, as I said, was emaciated. It had shriveled his faith, his courage, his trust. He'd gotten comfortable. He was faithful and trusting in his own plans and just the way that he kept the shepherds, the, the sheep. He was, he was not trusting in God to take him into a dangerous place. His faith, his courage, his trust, his imagination needed to be emancipated. They needed to be freed. And that's the first step. So Moses was so focused on himself. And he said, God, can you just pick somebody else? I just want to stay on the sidelines. I want to do my thing. I'd rather stay in bondage than pursue the freedom you have for me. <clears throat> and friends, this is really, really good news. If you can relate to Moses, this is really, really good news. Because Moses tried every which way to say no. To God caring. And you know how God responded? He still cared. He, he refused to let Moses' emaciated imagination and faith stop him from leading Moses to lead the charge. This is, this is great passage. I mean, this is real life conversation, real relationship between God and Moses, where, where Moses just lays it out and he finally comes to the point of being honest. And, and note then that Moses tells us that God's anger then is kindled against Moses when he says, Can you pick somebody else? That's in uh, verse 14 of chapter 4. That's a real important thing. See that real important thing to, to that that's where one of the few times that we know clearly what Moses did was not a good thing. Moses saying go pick somebody else was something that led to a, a frustration being expressed. Sort of like a, a parent to a child when we tell our children, you know, don't run up and down the stairs. You know, and they keep doing it until one day they fall and you know, break their arm. Or we tell them, you know, you're driving too fast, slow down, slow down, and they keep driving fast until then they have a wreck and total the car. Or maybe even with spouses. Um, uh, Kathy told me over and over again, you know, don't pick up the soap container, which is ceramic, don't pick it up with wet hands. Oh, come on, honey. And what do you know? 
picked it up with wet hands as I was taking it from one place to another. And what do you think happened? I dropped it and it broke. All the wives were looking at me, sort of nodding and shaking their head. You know, which that's where it got. Why, Moses, don't you see this? Why are you so shriveled in your faith and trust and courage that you don't see this? This is life-threatening to you to tell me to pick someone else. It's a clear presentation to us of how difficult true freedom is. I mean, we like the idea But our fear of really falling into the place where God would lead us, our lack of faith and trust and courage, they're revealed, which is good. So then we step into the place that we're uncomfortable, where God's leading us. And whatever freedom He's leading you to and us to, then to, to help lead others into. We like the idea, but it's really hard to make our full attention upon God and His grace, His mercy, and His power. It's a lot easier to just be a fan, just stay on the sidelines, just cheer every once in a while. It can be difficult, it can be scary, it can be uncertain to enter into this quest of freedom of living with God in our whole lives. It's a challenge, it's difficult, and it's scary. And the great news is that God knows and He still cares. And He will lead us even in our shriveled faith, courage, and imagination. He will lead us as we follow into freedom. Amen.